According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are in uh, Proverbs chapter 11 this morning. Join me there. Proverbs chapter 11. And we're going to go insane. We're going to talk about lacking sense and uh, these issues in verses 12 and 13. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense. And uh, what is this about? We've, this is a phrase we've seen before. It's come up uh, uh, already in the book of Proverbs. It'll come back again. And it is a heart issue. And the issue here, if you are deficient, if you are lacking, is uh, is a heart deficiency, which in the Hebrew is the lave or the lavav. And uh, the issue is there, what the New Testament would talk about in the cardia, in the, the heart of man, the innermost part of our being, the core of our being. So I'm going to pick up on it here this morning. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking God the Father to set aside distractions and asking for uh, some technology blessings. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the blessing we have to assemble together. We uh, call upon your faithfulness, Father, to hedge us about and protect us, watch over us this morning. Uh, Father, uh, bless our time in your word. I pray for the technology and all the issues there, Father. We know it's an earthly thing, but uh, the website has been a blessing for folks to to be able to hear messages they can't attend in person. And uh, Father, if it's your will, we'd like to to get Sunday's messages up today. We'd like to get today's messages up today. So uh, in all these things, we're in your hands. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 11. And really, we're dealing with uh, these issues here and really verse 10 and following when it goes well with the righteous the city rejoices and when the wicked perish there is joyful shouting and we've been talking about the impact that believers have in their community the political benefits to spiritual prosperity and really that's what it's about the political benefits to spiritual prosperity and it goes that direction that as believers thrive so goes the believer so goes the the community and if we are uh, disciples in the Word of God and growing in grace and knowledge and growing in wisdom, if we create a, a, uh, a uh, well, Colonel Theme used the term pivot, and I think that's a fine term, I can appreciate that, but a concentration of spirituality, that it's going to have a, a benefit in political life. And we see this here. So, um, when the, uh, verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. We get to bless. We get to pronounce blessings. It is our privilege as, as believers in Jesus Christ. Remember, the, uh, the privilege of blessing and cursing is to communicate. And, and we don't just make it happen because we say so, but we make it happen because we go to God in prayer and we ask. You know, God bless America is not just a motto, it's a prayer. And we pray and we ask for God's blessings. And, we, and the more believers there are that are praying for those blessings, the greater the benefit is. See, it's not because we're special. It's not because we have any kind of power. God is the one that can do these things. And I hope we're clear on that. I don't think there's any argument here this morning. God is the one that says, let there be, and there is, right? Let there be light, and there's light. We can't do that. We don't have sovereignty and omnipotence to say, let there be. Um, or I can't bless a person or bless a church or bless a family or bless a, a country just on my say-so, right? But I can call upon God. 
And God will honor our prayers in this regard as we are praying in, in uh, accordance to his will. So the privilege of blessing and cursing, it is our joy to bless. We bless God ourselves. We bless God, see, which is extraordinary. All right, so all of this comes under main point eight as we were looking at it in the outline. Political joy and exaltation comes from the well-being and blessing of the righteous. And uh, this is why, you know, when, when persecution comes, if you have a hostile government that's anti-Christian and a, per, and a, and a hostile government that's, that's uh, doing, taking action that's to, our, to, the, to the harm of, uh, of biblical Christianity, they're only harming themselves, <laughs> right? You know, you think back, what, what happened when Ethiopia drove out all their missionaries? And, uh, well, they faced consequences. And then there was famine that came thereafter. And there was a lot of judgment that came. They also embraced a communistic government. That's a problem, too. But the first thing was, was they, they drove out their Christian missionaries. And they started to, to have a, a hostile government approach to biblical Christianity. And there was an effect. There was an effect to that. And so, uh, different things. And it's nothing new. I mean, it goes back to Nero. <laughs> blaming Christians for bad stuff that was happening, using Christianity as a scapegoat. And, uh, and uh, it's been the, the practice through the history of the church. All right. Temporal welfare of the city does provide temporal welfare to the just and the unjust. It does go both directions. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but we want to understand the primary direction where it goes. It's not just temporal and, the, and, the, and the, the secular temporal benefits that roll downhill to us. It's actually the spiritual benefits that come up from us to the, uh, the population. The spiritual life of citizens and politicians provides temporal benefit to the population. So if we are a stronger local church, that will benefit our community. That will benefit politically, temporally, economically, every other way. It will benefit our community as per the scriptures we've been looking at there. We learn to stand out or we learn to lay low. And I think that's a, that's a mark of wisdom, either standing out or laying low. As political ascendancy or descendancy is manifest. Just, uh, man, have your eyes open. Know what's going on. Uh, understand the signs of the times. Understand the, the day and age in which we live. Understand if we are in an evil hour or, if, or not. Are we in a time of blessing or are we in a time of cursing? And, uh, and in so many ways, I keep dwelling on the, the arrest of Jesus Christ in the garden. And Peter was going to take a sword and try to fight off all the soldiers all by himself. And, and Jesus says, no, this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And he made that statement. And to know what hour it is and to know what God in his permissive will is allowing the powers of darkness to do. If God is allowing the powers of darkness to do all these things, don't, don't fight it, don't thwart it. Lay low, <laughs> okay? Hunker down. Uh, find the, the refuge under his wings. See, and I think and we may not like it. Of course, we're not going to like it politically. Of course not. Patriotically, you're going to hate it. But spiritually, if God is, is, has his hand of discipline, what are you going to do to thwart that? You're just going to put yourself in the way. See, and you don't want to be a partaker with that. Anyway, standing out or laying low. And, and Amos 5.13 was, I think, huge in that, as well as Proverbs 28.12 and 28, uh, also Proverbs 29.2 in that. Uh, if we are blessed to participate, then, man, additional blessings are bestowed. And uh, praying that God puts more believers into office, not just believers, but believers with doctrine. 
those that are true disciples, those that have a perspective to the Word of God for what it is. And I uh, appreciate that very much. All right. Now, as we move on to the next section here, gossip and slander destroy a community, so wisdom keeps matters silent. And we're looking at verses 12 and 13. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. All right, again, this is a way that believers can benefit our culture. We can benefit our city, our, our, the politics. Certainly the one another and, and causing the turmoil within the community. And uh, we learn how to say, uh, say what we say with our speech seasoned with salt, with, with, with grace. But we also learn how to keep matters quiet. We learn to have discretion related to all things that we're doing. Not that we're condoning the sin or covering up the sin or trying to, trying to validate what they're doing, not, not at all. But we choose in grace and in love to keep those things that ought not be spoken, not spoken, all right? And we choose to be prayer intercessors in such capacity and, and, and benefit our, our neighbor in several other ways that we can think about it. All right, so, and this is something we've seen previously in chapter 10, this was already mentioned. Uh, verses 18 and 19. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And so the the uh, sanctified silence as it's taught, and the blessing is of being able to have the discernment and to stay quiet on those matters that ought to be stayed quiet, and to hold your tongue when all your carnality wants to do is just jump out there and fight fire with fire. You know, your carnality, your humanity wants to give them the whatnot, right? Because, you know, they're sure dishing it out and, and you know that you've got a dish also, right? And we can, we can throw the dishes right back at them. Okay, well, humanity may want to do that, but love may not want to do that. See, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. And uh, it may be the mark of wisdom to remain silent. And uh, this passage and other passages, I think, address that very well. And certainly there's no place for gossip or slander in any capacity. And so that's never uh, never a, 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 an objective of ours. All right. Despising your neighbor is insane. Despising your neighbor is insane. If you want to engage in this kind of activity, I don't recommend it. It will damage your own soul faster than anything. All right? It will have impact in your lave, in your lavav. Despising your neighbor is insane. And the Hebrew word booze, okay? Booze is a problem. <laughs> not the liquor. That's a different sermon, not today. But booze, in terms of the Hebrew word, B-U-W-Z, booze. And we got the verb and we've got a noun. And they're both spelled the same way, pronounced the same way. Um, Strong's gave number 936 to the verb and number 937 to the, uh, to the noun. And so uh, 12 times the verb shows up and 11 times the noun shows up as, uh, as this goes. Now, I, I didn't mark down. We looked at these last week, I think. Did we look at all these or we ran out of time? I don't recall. We looked at them. Okay, so we're ready to move on. I thought so, because I want to move on to the to the point B. Um, but the idea of uh, despising and contempt, the idea that you look at something and you view it as worthless. 
you look at something or a person or a thing or a church or a Bible class or whatever it might be. The idea of this verb is that you are despising it. It is the opposite of, of glory. Remember, glory is you look at something and you estimate it as worthwhile. You look at it as, as admirable or desirable. That's what glorification is. You hold something in a high esteem, that's glory. And so if, you, if you're going to look to God and you value him highly, that's glory. And if you, if you share that with somebody else, and you, and you talk to your, your, your daughter, you talk to your son, you talk to your sister, you talk to whoever you talk to, and you influence them in a way, you verbally tell them how special it is, how wonderful it is, how great it is. You know what you're doing there? You're glorifying. Okay? You're glorifying. See, it comes down to how, how do we think and how do we communicate what we're thinking so that we can influence somebody else. I want somebody else to share the same high regard of God that I share. I want somebody else to have the same high regard for Scripture that I have. See, because I think people have a low regard of Scripture. They may have a high regard of God, but then they end up with a low regard of Scripture because they're not living in the Scriptures. We want to be able to communicate these things. That's what glorification is doing. When we glorify God, we are working to improve somebody else's opinion. Do you follow all that? Because, see, we're not changing God's relative value. God is infinitely glorious. God is infinitely perfect. He is of infinitely high esteem and infinitely high value. We can't affect that, but we can affect other people's thinking about that. See? Now, on the flip side of the coin, the opposite of glory is this. We're talking about the shame. We're talking about the contempt. The concepts that that underlie the verb booze, B-U-W-Z, booze, or the noun booze, and it's only hilarious to me that it sounds so much like the English word booze, <laughs> like we're preaching about alcohol this morning. Um, but the idea of booze in the Hebrew, the Hebrew verb booze, is this contempt. It's this utter um, despising where I look at something and it just to me it's, it's worthless and it's less than worthless. And then what do I want to do? I want to communicate to others because maybe somebody doesn't have the same low regard I have. <laughs> and so I want to tear them down in somebody else's eyes. Why would I want to do that? Isn't it not sufficient to me that I'm already despising this? Isn't it already not sufficient to me that I view this as useless and worthless and bad and wicked? Why is it that I want to change other people's thinking as well? To tear them down in other people's thinking as well? Why would I want to do that? See, because that's what sin does. That's what evil does. This is, this is the, the essence of gossip and slander and all of these activities, the mental attitude sin and the verbal sin, whereby I am just cutting somebody down left and right. And it's, it's, I, I think that they're a, a no good, rotten, dirty, low good you know, bushwhacker. And, uh, and I want everybody else to have the same low opinion I have because that's how much my soul is hurting. That's the damage I've done to myself. And so I want to, uh, to communicate that contempt. And really, it is, a, it is an insanity expression. All right. So lacking sense. Lacking sense. Literally, heart. Okay? We have a verb for lack. We have Chaucer, right? Not Geoffrey Chaucer, but Chaucer. 
in the Hebrew, or chaser, C-H-A-C-E-R, number 2637, and it's a verb for lack. It's a verb for a deficiency, for you don't have enough, right? And I think we all can relate to this. <laughs> There's something that if we had our druthers, we would want more of it, and uh, and whatever it might be. Um, you know, and, and we just rest in faith and trust in God and He provides. And we don't grumble about what we lack because if we lack it, we don't need it. My God shall supply all your need. And the one who, who trusts in Him shall not lack in any good thing. And whatever we view as a lack is only a lack in human viewpoint. Uh, it's not a lack in divine viewpoint because God provides for every legitimate lack as He sees it. If, uh, if He doesn't provide, it's not a legitimate lack as He sees it. All right. Anyway, the idiom where we combine the verb and we combine it with a noun for heart, the idiom is combined 11 times in the book of Proverbs. And we've already seen it in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 9, but we can remind ourselves of it here this morning. It's used four times in the parental wisdom portion of the book. Remember, chapters 1 through 9 is all parental wisdom. It's all parents taking this and pounding it through the thick skull of a young person that needs to have it pounded through. Okay? So Proverbs 6.32. And uh, you'll note the uh, context for these. Adultery, for example. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. What does that mean? Does that mean it's just a stupid idea? Okay, well, yeah, it's a stupid idea, but it means more than that. This text says that it diminishes your heart. The, the lack to your own lavav, to your own heart. And it says, um, he would destroy himself. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find. What is this talking about? You're just, because you're going to get beat up, the husband's going to get mad, or he's going to kill you, or whatever. It, it's the, the damage is getting done long before it's discovered. Long before the jealous uh, husband finds out and, and beats you up or kills you or whatever he does. The wounds and disgrace are being afflicted as you are accomplishing the sin. It is a self-destructive activity, as is so much other sin patterns that we have in, uh, in the world today. Self-destructive behavior. And his reproach will not be blotted out. Then, it's not until verse 34 that we find that there's additional damage done on top of the damage already done. Jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. So a day of vengeance will come when the, the, uh, the innocent party or the, the victim of the, of the adultery finds out about it. But long before that, before the, the harm comes in verse 34, there's harm already taking place in verses 32 and 33. All right, over to chapter 7, and again, the phrase comes up in verse 7. I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. A young man with a heart deficiency, lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. And we talked about this. And we talked about how God in His grace prevents certain sins, and He steps in and He overrules and uh, how many times does he walk by in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness? And he keeps tempting himself, and he keeps passing by again and again and again. And God's grace rescued him, those early attempts, and then finally, 
A woman comes out to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. How many times will God's grace uh, step in and overrule and rescue you until he lets you go through with it? And you've already committed the mental attitude sin four different times, and now you're going to commit the overt sin. Now you're going to compound the discipline. And, uh, and he falls right for it. Chapter 9, verse 4 and verse 16. Not to reteach all these chapters because we taught them already. Uh, Proverbs 9 4 says, Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food, drink of the wine I have mixed. And so this is the positive illustration. This is, the, this is wisdom offering the, the, the real invitation that we want to pursue and embrace and the blessings there. But we see the idiom lacking sense or diminished of heart. Diminished of heart. And then finally, verse 16 is the last use in the parental wisdom section. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here to him who lacks understanding, she says. And same language, right? Wisdom in the early part of the chapter, and then the harlot in the latter half of the chapter. The woman of folly. Get the woman of wisdom, the woman of folly. And calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Someone that's trying to walk right in the, in the will of God. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here to him who lacks understanding. It's, it's the same language. It's the same appeal, except notice stolen water is sweet. <laughs> and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So both Lady Wisdom and Lady Harlot here, they have um, uh, similar activities, but the, the, the message is, is diametrically opposed. All right. Now when you move on to the next section, from chapter 10 to chapter 25, notice, or 10 to 24, in the Personal and Public Wisdom section, uh, eight uses, eight uses, and, of course, the comparison is not exactly proportional because you've got more chapters you're dealing with in, in 10 through 24. But still, as a matter of emphasis on the parental realm, now we've got this as a matter of emphasis in the personal and the public side of things. And I think that this becomes significant, too. The damage that's done to the heart. And parents will pour out their, their heart to protect their children's heart. But when you are now in your own generation and standing in, in your own city and culture and, and nation... It is your own heart that you have to guard. It is your own uh, soul that you have to guard, see. And so it's not surprising to me that this idiom keeps coming back again and again and again throughout this portion of of Proverbs. Proverbs 10.13 and Proverbs 10.21. See, this is is where we are, right? And it's it's amazing to me how many people aren't uh, more protective of their own soul. When Scripture, I think, talks about it abundantly. You know, they shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, why bother if it's no big deal? (laughs) But no, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It needs to be guarded. All right. Proverbs 10, 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding, who is deficient of heart. Okay? This heart deficiency and um, discipline that's corporate discipline, right? Applied to adults in public and uh, in, a, in a concept that uh, wouldn't exactly fly in our culture today because, you know, we're modern and we're past all that. But, you know, um, 
go to Singapore with your with your spray paint, and uh, you can learn what that I forget his name, but there was an American teenager that learned that lesson. He got caned for it, and uh, came back after his caning, and um, there it is. Okay, there are other parts of the world that still have the rod to uh, as a as a, a discipline feature, and uh, yeah, if you think about it, it's it's cheaper than uh, jail. <laughs> you know, you want to put somebody in jail for 30 days and, and feed them and, and, and house them and clothe them and, you know, it, it, jails are expensive. Or you can give them six lashes and send them home. You know, and, and anyway, like I say, uh, it's not a feature of the Texas Penal Code. Uh, and so it's uh, all I can do is daydream uh, for, <laughs> for our application. But it is biblical. It is biblical. And uh, it's described there. All right, verse 21. uh, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And there's there's very real consequences for having the damaged heart, for having the diminished heart capacity that happens when you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. When, When the Word of God is not saturating your thinking, then that cosmos thinking that that conforms you has very real consequences, tangible consequences, in um, even up to the sin and the death. Fools die for lack of understanding. Over to chapter 11, where we are today, verse 12. The uh, man of understanding keeps silent, but he who despises his neighbor lacks sense. And so this diminished heart is the, is the consequence here of this activity in the slander, in the gossip, in the mental attitude behind the slander and the gossip. The whole, um, the whole chaos in the, in the community comes back to this. You've got somebody that's not being transformed by the Word of God. And so uh, their heart is damaged, their, their thinking is corrupted, and they're expressing that through slander and, and gossip. Chapter 12. Here's some things we have coming up. Verse 9 and verse 11. Proverbs 12:9. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Okay. So we get a lacking verb there. It's not lacking sense. It's it's a lacking principle. Probably should not have included that on this slide. I was thought I was going to limit it to the lacking sense, but that's good. We can look at it, and uh, we'll teach it when we get to chapter twelve. Um, lightly esteemed, you know, versus uh, self-esteemed. Honors himself. And uh, boy, there's a whole lot of preaching that we'll get into that, I'm sure, because we live in the generation of self-esteem, the, the cult of self-esteem, and um, lift that up to, to idol number one in the uh, in the idolatry of our generation. All right, still in chapter 12, verse 11, he who uh, tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. Okay, so there's the verb with the heart, lacking sense. Um Pursuing worthless things, pursuing the belial, pursue, pursuing the worthless things, not being about your father's business, uh, being conformed to this age, and you're pursuing the worthless things. And uh, sadly, that's, uh, that's much of our culture today. Chapter 15 and verse 21. Proverbs 15, 21. <clears> 
I like verse. Oh, there's so many that are good in here. Um, I don't know. I'll get distracted if I get to the vegetarian thing in verse 17. So let me stick with uh, <laughs> verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but a slow the slow to anger calms a dispute. This uh, very much addresses what we're going to talk about when we calm things down, we stay silent. Uh, it's, it's a mark of patience to be able to do so. So we have patience there connected to love. Uh, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns in verse 19, but the path of the upright is a highway. There's a contrast for you. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And in the poetry of this, of course, it applies to both father and mother, wisdom and foolishness. And uh, despising, like we're talking about today. All right, verse uh, 21 then. Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. It's enjoyable, it's entertainment, it's recreational. Um, Not only are they pursuing folly, they're having a whole lot of fun doing it. (laughs) It is a joy to the insane, to him who lacks sense, to the heart deficient, to this idiom that we're studying today. But a man of understanding walks straight. You know, and it's, it's just such a contrast as you, uh, and sometimes it shows up in, on Facebook walls, and sometimes it shows up in real life, and sometimes it shows up with our friends and loved ones that, uh, that are walking according to this folly. Uh, it's, it's like a whole different universe. And, uh, and you wonder, wow, what, what, what color is the sky in your world? <laughs> you know, uh, because man, in, in, in my reality, this is the a joy the folly is a joy and yet uh we we just shake our heads and say wow how you know are we having fun (laughs) are we really having fun in uh whatever the activity might be chapter 17 and verse 8 i don't know it's just breaking my heart this week i'm burdened for a person i learned uh outside not austin bible church but somebody uh at the Scrabble Club that has just decided that they're going to they're gonna pursue a, a homosexual relationship. Uh, uh, he made that choice, huh? And, uh, of course, you know, they deny it. Oh, well, I was born this way. Well, I'll pray for you. It's just heartbreaking to me. All right, Proverbs 17 and verse 18. A man lacking in sense pledges... And becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. We've seen this already. It's going to come back again very quickly here in Proverbs 11. Um, but again and again we find the, uh, the unequally yoked business dealings. Whereby you're caught up in a scheme. You're caught up in a, in a financial matter. And there's no reason for it. And why did you become the guarantor? Uh, there's those we should be guarantor for in terms of our family and our clan and, and the appropriate obligations we have as a kinsman redeemer, certainly. But a guarantor process that defies the kinsman redeemer uh, procedures is it's not of God, and it's, it's entirely worldly in its approach. And uh, the, the Scripture warns us about it over and over and over again. And so we'll talk about it there, but it's lacking sense. It is, uh, it is a, a form of insanity with a diminished heart. Chapter 24 and verse 30 this is the last of these. Proverbs 24, 30. 
I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw a reflected upon it, I looked and received instruction. You can actually learn by watching the discipline upon the person not following biblical norms and standards. But there's the parallelism, sluggard and lacking sense. And they're used in tandem. Uh, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> you know, he's not a sluggard or he's not lacking sense because he's a sluggard. He's a sluggard because he's lacking sense, right? He's not being molded by the word of God. So he has the heart deficiency that's described here. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's, that's a little sing-song Hebrew poetry. We've seen it before, okay? It comes back. And you wonder, how popular is it? <laughs> you know, it must have been fairly common in Solomon's day because uh, it keeps uh, getting uh, recorded here in the book of Proverbs. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You know, it's like the, it's the original snooze alarm. Just five more minutes. Just five more minutes, Right? or nine minutes, or whatever your snooze happens to be. Um, just five more minutes, just five more minutes. Yeah, if your whole life is just five more minutes, when does anything ever get done? Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. We've seen those expressions already as well. So that's the public wisdom section. And then uh, beyond that, only one additional use, no, two additional uses, um, the accumulated wisdom that uh, King Hezekiah's men put together when they compiled a list of unpublished proverbs, when they put together a collection of you know Solomon's greatest hits that uh, failed to make the earlier edition, okay, um, and so uh, an additional um, entry to the Book of Proverbs was made here. All, of course, the Holy Spirit inspires all of this. Don't think for a minute that that Proverbs 25 and following is less Bible than Proverbs 1 through 24, right? Are we clear on that? Simply because starting in chapter 25, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And so it, it came into, into common uh, usage in Hezekiah's day, and the Holy Spirit placed it within the canon at this time. See, and, and these are studies that are important for us to understand Old Testament canonicity, New Testament canonicity. What's the difference between when something is first inspired, you know, in Solomon's day versus later compiled and added to the canon later on? That's, a, that's an important study beyond what we'll talk about this morning. But in Proverbs 28, 16, in the, in the Hezekiah collection, a leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. So here's some leadership principles for you. If you're reading books on leadership. Um, is, is, uh, is tyranny a good leadership model? <laughs> you know, the dictator model. Does that work in, uh, in business, in, uh, in, in a church, in a marriage? <laughs> you know, the oppressor. You do what I say, woman. You know, and you stomp your foot and you... you is that is that how it works, okay? Or uh, a, a uh, an oppressor? You know, you think about the the tyrannical church leadership that Paul addressed in First Corinthians. You know, and the Corinthians bear it gladly if someone spits on you and slaps you in the face. And then why do you put up with that? Say, 
Why does a woman put up with that? Why does a flock put up with that? Why does a, uh, a business put up with that? Why does a nation put up with that? It's not biblical leadership. Well, it's a lack of heart. It's a lack of understanding uh, in the idiom we're looking at today. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. We want wisdom in, uh, in all these things. Finally, Proverbs 31.11 in The Virtuous Woman. And uh, this is not precisely the... In fact, it's not at all. This is not the idiom that, uh, that that's being featured in Proverbs 11. It does have the word heart and it does have the word lack in the same verse, but they're separated into different expressions. Uh, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. So this is... Uh, we ought to memorize this in the Hebrew. If you memorize it in the Hebrew, then you have the alphabet working for you. You have Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth. It's an acrostic poem through the verses. And so little you know, Hebrew girls memorizing this could memorize their way through the, through the acrostic. Um, for us English speakers, it's a little tougher. Uh, an excellent wife who can find her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And that's, the, that's where Lave appears, is with his heart. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack. That's where our term lack shows up. He will have no lack of gain. All right? So anyway, those are uses, usages of Chaucer, of Chaser. Um, probably the bulk of them, though, do apply to the idiom, to the lack of heart, to the Chaser of Lev or Lavav. Um, a couple of them don't exactly. Proverbs 31 doesn't. And uh, Proverbs 10 or 12, 9 doesn't. But most of these did. A lot of these did. All right, the verb chaser. Um, also the adjective, whether you lack something or you have a lack of something, either the verb or the adjective, together you got 40 uses. And really, uh, beyond Psalms and Proverbs, just an assortment that I like because they make me laugh, or uh, that they're useful to help us remember do you need a, a, a verse that helps you remember? In Genesis 18, 28, what's, what's Abraham doing in Genesis 18? In Genesis 18, he's praying for Sodom, right? And he's praying for Sodom and he's talking the Lord down. And the word lack shows up in that prayer, shows up in that request. Because the first thing he says is, suppose there's 50 righteous in Sodom. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And the Lord says, no, I will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And then he says, well, perhaps the 50 are lacking five, (laughs) okay? Lord, I I might have overestimated the number of believers in Sodom, okay? Uh, What if I'm lacking five? Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked for the sake of the 45? And the Lord says, no, I will not for the sake of the 45. And then, of course, he bargains them down to 40, 30, 20, 10. And uh, that's where he stops. And we're familiar with that chapter. So um, anyway, if... uh, then uh, Genesis 18 might be uh, might be a good verse for you. The idea of lacking. Likewise, Exodus 16 and verse 18. Exodus 16 and verse 18. And um, this is when all of Israel is first introduced to what is it, and um, they don't even know what is it, but God is faithfully providing for them the what is it. And they gather it and they eat it and it tastes pretty good and they, they like the way it tastes. And every morning God fed them the, the what is it, see, which is the Hebrew manna. And so um, when they measured it with an omer, 
This is uh, verse 18. He who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered a little had no chaser, had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he could eat, or should eat, okay? Should eat, yeah. There is a difference between what you could eat and what you should eat. Have you, have you learned that yet? There's a lot of things I could eat, and I'm not sure I should. Quantities and so forth. Um, so there's a verse. How about 1 Samuel 21.15? My personal favorite. 1 Samuel 21.15. If you ever need a memory verse to help you remember chaser and lacking... This is where uh, David uh, took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them. He acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? And one of my favorite Bible verses ever is, Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, I mean, you can imagine this king, he's probably just fed up with his servants anyway. And like, really? Do I need this? Do I, do, you know, do I lack madmen? You, you felt I just needed one more, huh? Is that, is that really? And so, anyway, and, and it worked. It absolutely worked. David was rescued. He was able to escape and um, went and wrote a psalm. Actually, one of the psalms get, uh, got written in consequence of this very episode right here. And uh, we can appreciate that. Finally, the last use of chaser. First um, Kings eleven twenty one. Just another memorable passage. And uh, I forget why I included this one, but you remember... Um, First Kings 11, of course, we're in a Solomon context here. First uh, Kings 11:22. Oh yeah, yeah. Here's where Hadad um, has to run. Hadad, Hadad. Let's see. Verse 14. The Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon. Hadad. The Edomite. He was of the royal line in Edom. And uh, anyway, Hadad flees to Egypt, and uh, and then he's going to want to return. Hadad found great favor before Pharaoh, verse nineteen, so that he gave him in marriage um, the sister of his own wife, the sister of Topanes, the queen, and uh, the sister of Topanes bore his son Gedubath whom Topanese weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Ganubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. <clears throat> but when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Send me away that I may go to my own country. And Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me that, behold, you are seeking to go to your own country? And this is a this is a, a significant question, you know, not only in his context, but in um, in a lot of applications for you and me. And um, the world will look at things in a certain way and not understand what's lacking. Um, your employer may look in certain ways and not understand what's lacking. 
in, in, uh, in, in any context. There may be a very real uh, disconnect between how you're looking at things and how somebody else is looking at things. How uh, your husband's looking at things and you're looking at things. Or how your pastor's looking at things and the members are looking at things. Or, um, or anything. How the world looks at things. See, they don't understand. And the world doesn't get it. What, what are you lacking? And they don't understand why you have this hunger in your soul for something that the world's not giving you. <laughs> okay? And the world will never get it. What are you lacking? Why are you spending so much time in church? See, because they don't get it. They don't understand what you're lacking. What is it, what is it I'm not giving you? Okay? And it can go the other way as, as well. So what have you lacked with me that behold you were seeking to go to your own country? And he answered nothing. Nevertheless, you must surely let me go. And as far as Hadad is concerned, it's not because of any lack. It's not anything that Pharaoh did wrong. It's not any of the circumstances. Everything there was taken care of. Still, he wanted to return. That was, that was his uh, conviction. See. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting episode there. Plus, how often do you get a chance to read in the Bible about, hey, Dad? And that just makes me laugh all the time anyway, because it's very commonly spoken in my house. And every time I hear, hey, Dad, I never hear anything about scriptures. <laughs> Not about David and Solomon and Pharaoh and, and the circumstances of, e- of Edom and the enemies. And usually it's something else being discussed. All right. Anyway, lacking sense. Finally, gossip. Gossip is the verbal expression of mental attitude despising, and it manifests an utter absence of faithlessness. I'm sorry, faithfulness. An utter absence of faithfulness. Again, let's return to Proverbs 11. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. And I don't care if it's if it's children or it's adults or it's grown men or it's gossipy women or whatever it is. The water cooler chit chat. If it's uh, you know, I, I I've worked in places where you wonder are are you grown men or are you junior high girls? What do we? What kind of place do I work in? How does this how does this happen? And talking about this and talking about that and talking about well then they did this and then they did that and then well. And I'm not going to be their friend anymore if they're going to be this person's friend. Really? Okay. So Proverbs 11, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, uh, but a man of understanding keeps silent. And then, then look at the, the poetry here, verse 13. He who goes about as a talebearer, that's the verbal activity of gossip and slander, reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy, notice, this is amen. This is faithful and true. This is the, the, the picture of Jesus Christ, who is the faithful and true, the amen. Okay? Or muna, depending on the, the form. But here's faithfulness. He who is trustworthy conceals a matter. And so in the poetry, we want to look at both halves of this verse, and we want to contrast the, the things that are contrasting. The tail-bearing versus the concealment. The, uh, the uh, uh, revelation, revealing of secrets versus the trustworthiness. Okay, You see the, the, the contrasts that are being drawn here. It is, the, it is the expression of the mental attitude that we saw from verse 
12, the lacking sense, the lack of understanding. It is despising. You're saying these things because you despise them. You're saying these things because you think so little of them. And for whatever reason, you want others to share that. In some cases, you want to know what the real motivation is? You're feeling better about yourself the more you tear them down. (laughs) The more you despise them, you think, by comparison, I'm pretty good. And so if you can tear them down and gossip about them and convince others, boy, that person's a real jerk. That person's horrible. That person's this. That person's that. And you get more people on board with your campaign to tear down so-and-so, you can also kind of boost your own self-esteem here, saying, by the way, you know, I'm not like that. You know, aren't I better? You know, and uh, if the person you're, you're attempting to slander to has divine viewpoint and wisdom, they'll stop it cold and say, I don't want to hear that. That's gossip. That's slander. And you're no better than them. You're worse than them. Because <laughs> that's gossip. That's slander. It's reflective of your, of your damaged soul. I don't want to be a partaker in that. Why would I want to poison my own ears with, what, with the, the filth you're spewing forth? I want no part of that. Anyway, then we get the, the poetry on that there. It's the contrast that we draw from verse 12 to 13, and then the contrast within verse 13 as well with respect to the tail-bearer. Okay? I like that. What a translation. The tail-bearer. Because, you know, you can just tell a tale. And it doesn't even have to be true. If it's true, it's gossip. If it's not true, it's slander. You got the difference? Okay? As both mental attitudes, I mean, they're both verbal sins. Neither one is, is, is acceptable. And they're both a reflection of the, of the mind, the mind that's already defiled. Comes back again in chapter 20 and verse 19. So what's better, to be gossiped about or to be slandered? Well, neither one is fun, but if it's slander, then you can at least mitigate some of the damage um, in the sense that if it's because it's not true right? If someone's slandering you and they're falsely accusing all kinds of evil against you, I mean, yeah, that hurts. Nobody likes it. It's, uh, you got to endure it, but, but blessed are you. And, and there's reward for that. And it's, it's, uh, it's part of what it means to, to name the name of Christ and, and to stand for truth in this, in this generation. Gossip, though, if it's true, if it's true, that's what makes it gossip. Uh, then, okay, it's still not fun to experience, but then on top of that, there's, there is the underlying issue that has to be dealt with. If, if uh, you know, whatever they're gossiping about, if it's sin, if it's evil, if it's wrong, then, then yeah, you, you've got to deal with that and let the Word of God deal with that and, and grow through those kind of things. Anyway, Proverbs 20 and verse 19. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. And so there's the, there's the terms, both slander and gossip used in tandem in, uh, in that way. Remember, who's the slanderer? Satan. Ha diabolos. It's the devil. But what does diabolos mean? Slander. Okay? He is the slanderer. He is the one that, that lies. He's the liar from the beginning. He is the liar and the father of lies. He is the slanderer. So when you engage in the slanderous activity, you are an imitator of Satan. You are not faithful and true. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. 
That's why, to me, it's so powerful to see this contrast in Proverbs 11 between faithfulness and the, te- and the talebearer. He who is faithful will conceal a matter. Faithfulness is Jesus Christ. The slanderer is Satan. And so choose you this day whom you will imitate, whom you will uh, replicate. Uh, let's wrap this up with Leviticus 19.16 and Jeremiah. Just a couple of other passages related to this. Leviticus 19.16. I've been spending more time in Leviticus lately. I've been spending more time in Hebrews lately. (laughs) Hebrews is the New Testament Leviticus as far as I'm concerned. But um, anyway. And I'm finding more and more opponents and enemies and God-haters are are mocking Leviticus. And and so, okay, I'll spend more time there. Leviticus 19.16 You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So here's a thou shalt not, just like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. And uh, there it is. Notice it's acting against the soul, the nephesh, the life. I think it's life. I think it's nephesh. I have to look that up. Of your neighbor, I am the Lord. Finally, Jeremiah 9 and verse 4. The weeping prophet had to deal with this. Let everyone be on guard against... Oh yeah, this is fun. Remember this? Um, Man, running out of time. Uh, Verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. You know, such was his grief that he was running out of tears. That he, he was wishing that he had a greater capacity for tears. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go from them. You ever been tempted to do that? Just build a hut somewhere in the middle of the Gobi Desert? Okay, get away from it all. For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, everybody. I alone am left. Do you ever feel like that? The Elijah syndrome, the Jeremiah syndrome, the Bob Bolander syndrome, whatever it is. You start to feel the pity party and you throw the pity party and no one comes and then that just makes your pity party even better um they bend their tongue like their bow lies and not truth prevail in the land lies and not truth man it sounds like our political season for they proceed from evil to evil they started at an evil place and where are they going even deeper even worse, evil men and impostors proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And they do not know me, declares the Lord. So let everyone be on guard against his neighbor. Who do you trust? Nobody. Trust nobody. Do not trust any brother. You can't trust neighbors, can't trust family, because every brother deals craftily. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They've actually been, they've they've developed a skill set. They've improved in the sophistication of their lying capacity. They weary themselves committing 
iniquity. Your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Anyway, there it is. Well, there's a lot more that goes with that, but I'm out of time. Gossip and slander. Now think about it, though. What, what are we learning? Why are we developing this? Because we want to be shaped by the Word of God. We want to, to stand in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our community, in our school, in wherever we are, our family reunions for Christmas gatherings, or wherever we want to find ourselves, and we want to be reflections of this wisdom. We want, to, we want to be a blessing to our family, our community, our nation. We want to stop that gossip and slander. You know, nip it in the bud, just end it. And, and the more of us doing that, the better impact in our culture. Okay? This is when personal wisdom becomes public wisdom and it has a, a benefit to our nation. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. I do thank you for the Word of God, how it does come alive. It is alive and powerful. Father, thank you for being faithful. Again, we call upon your faithfulness for uh, the, the grace provision of this local assembly, for uh, the, the, the bills to be paid, the lights to stay on, the doors to stay open, the recordings to, to be uh, completed and posted. For all these things, Father, it's in your hands. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.